This is Jeremy Robert Johnson, and you are listening to Booked. Welcome to Book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rebel Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is one we've been anticipating for a while. Zombie Sharks with Metal Teeth by Stephen Graham Jones. A little bit about the author in the bio we pulled from the book. Stephen Graham Jones is the author of The Last Final Girl, Zombie Bake Off, Demon Theory, The Ones That Got Away, It Came From Del Rio, Growing Up Dead in Texas, and Probably Twice That Many More. Stephen's been an NEA Fellow, National Endowment for the Arts, of course is what NEA is, a Stoker Award finalist, and has won the Texas Institute of Letters Award for Fiction. He lives in Boulder, Colorado, and teaches in the MFA programs at CU Boulder and UCR Palm Desert. Oh, Stephen Graham Jones. That guy's a busy cat. Yeah, we've reviewed some of that stuff, haven't we? We have. I don't think that guy sleeps. <laughs> yeah. One of those books, I don't know if it's one in there, but um, in the notes for this, uh, he mentions you know the, the book that he wrote in 72 hours. Yep. It usually takes us longer to read a book than that. Yeah, pretty much always takes... Well, yeah. Yes, you're right. Well, no, because you wait till the last minute. Yeah, then I... Like eight hours. Eight hours, but yeah. Anyway. So, at any rate, um, man, uh, I don't even know how to start talking about this. So, uh, Zombie Sharks with Metal Teeth, probably the um, craziest title we've reviewed so far, yeah? Yeah, and a really cool-looking cover. Indeed. So, this is a collection of short stories, and if you're a first-time listener or haven't heard us review a collection before... Um, typically what we do is we each pick, you know, a couple, three favorites, you know, and, and, uh, and just talk about them or not necessarily favorites, maybe just interesting stories. Standouts. And, uh, yeah. Standouts. So that's what we're going to do this time. Rob, would you like to, to go first? Um, yeah, I was just looking to see which one I wanted to talk about first. There's kind of a theme in mind now that I look at it. <laughs> All right. So toward the beginning of the book, actually the second story is a story called the age of hasty retreats. It, uh, one of those stories where it's like a post zombie apocalypse and someone's kind of explaining how they're surviving in, uh, in that time. And it's just a very unique technique that the, the person uses for, uh, to throw zombies off his trail or to, to, I guess, distract them while he makes his escape. Um, is it, should I tell them or no? I have to tell them. No, no. I don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Because talking about it would be so fun, but spoiling the surprise, I don't know. It's tough. It is tough. I don't know. Your your story, your call. I have to talk. All right, so um, he essentially uh, explains how uh, you... (laughs) It's a very detailed. You can tell Jones put a lot of like actual thought. Remember when we were talking about uh, um, the summer is ended and we're we're not yet saved, and we were talking about how uh, Camo had talked to a doctor about the mm-hmm. logistics of beating someone to death with a child's arm. Yep. I think that Jones went to some sort of like that level of research when he did this because he was explaining in great detail how to hang cats and sometimes dogs. 
around a belt <laughs> and then use them as you know to throw to zombies to uh, give you more time to escape from them basically Dude, this story was was absolute genius and I probably would have would have fought you for this uh, a little more if there weren't so many standout stories in this collection yeah the interesting thing is, is you know you, you you just kind of describe the gist of the story and people are going wow that's pretty fucked up or that sounds pretty interesting but it's oddly a kind of touching story too yeah yeah it definitely is um not only is it a touching story but it also gets more fucked up than that <laughs> um Indeed. and just yeah. like the image forever in my burned in my brain from this book is going to be a dude running from zombies with a bandolier of kittens <laughs> <laughs> definitely one of my one of my favorites and uh that, that's probably a good way to kind of exemplify exactly what this collection <laughs> consists of because it's bizarre and all over the place and I, I haven't read a ton of Stephen Graham Jones short stories uh, he's probably got about you know 300 out somewhere published yeah but I have to imagine that he went through them and picked the most bizarre slash bizarre ones for this collection yeah there's definitely a common thread through them and it's just how weird they can be all right, the first one I want to talk about, uh, again, kind of going into that bizarre realm, is uh, called Submitted for Your Approval. And it's funny because the second I read this title, the first thing I thought was mm-hmm. Twilight Zone. Yep. So uh, having grown up on Twilight Zone and being a big fan, I still spend um, most of my New Year's Eves watching the uh, the marathon on the Sci-Fi channel. Uh, sure enough, this is about Rod Serling, and he gets to uh, basically star in his own Twilight Zone episode. Um, which is great because he uh, Jones touches on some of the the Twilight Zone, you know, the iconic episodes and, and some of the the things about production and writing it. But it's kind of this weird, surreal story about Rod Serling. Uh, I, I thought it was of, a brilliant concept, but abs- absolutely not being a huge Twilight Zone fan, I assumed it was going to be kind of tricky to pull off and not just seem like you're ripping off an idea, but actually kind of honoring it. Oh, yeah, I think you did a great job with it. Should I do my next one? Yep. Gordon Highland. See, I asked permission from Livius. (laughs) (laughs) That was for you. All right, the next next story I'd like to talk about is um, called Hell on the Homefront 2, in which uh, it's, it's about a woman and her husband. Her husband had been away in... I'm assuming the Iraq war or in Afghanistan and was an abusive husband. So when he came back, she was kind of worried and trying to escape. Um, and the remarkable thing about him is that he took, what was it like 17 bullets? He got like shot like Mm -hmm. 17 times or something like that, but somehow survived and came home, uh, to, you know, came back home and, you know, continued to be an abusive husband. The trick with it is, um, his, he plays on, so something happens and, and the husband ends up getting like gangrene, which he just kind of ignores. And, um, then it's a play on how exactly this guy just won't die. And, and it goes from there and it gets really, really weird. But, uh, I don't know. I just thought it was like overall, just a really interesting concept, and it was a pretty cool story. I don't know what to say about it. It's one of those you got to read to really like appreciate. 
Yeah, it's funny you say it gets really weird because every single one of these stories gets <laughs> gets very, very weird. So the next one I want to talk about, I was a teenage slasher victim. Anybody who uh, follows uh, Stephen Graham Jones on any form of social media um, will know that he is a, a huge fan of the slasher films. So it wasn't um, you know, very surprising to find this type of story buried in this collection. Um just a great story and it's basically it's a mother and a daughter driving in the car and you know the daughter says tell me about how you met dad you know and she gets this story of how they met at a summer camp where there was a psycho crazed killer so instead of like the sweet endearing you know story about how we met it's you know we met and there was a guy with a machete you know that type of that (laughs) type of thing and it's told in that second person format where it's you're driving in the car, you're doing this. You know, it's just just a great, great story. I'm very glad to, that he uh, he included that in the midst of this because it was, in some ways, one of the more normal stories. Right, but with a nice, weird Stephen Graham Jones twist to it. Yep, indeed. Yeah, I really dug that story, especially you know, coming from having read the summers ended. We're not yet saved very recently. Mm-hmm. It's also reminiscent a little bit of like the last final girl and it's that type of slasher story. So yeah, definitely felt very at home reading that story, even though it's really messed up. So the last story that I'd like to talk about is called rocket man, um, in which, uh, again, just kind of a normal everyday story, bunch of kids playing baseball and stuff or trying to pull a baseball game together, but they need, you know, a specific number of people for it to be a legitimate game. And so um, zombies exist in this world, and they decide to pull uh, a zombie kid in to take one of the outfield positions. And the reason that this baseball game is so important is that the protagonist kid is, he's got this great plan. It's one of those, like, childhood plans where you think everything through very, like, methodically, and it's everything's going to go perfectly as long as this and this and this happens. Um and it's to impress a girl and uh, maybe the the story goes the way we think or the protagonist thinks it's going to go and maybe not yeah you know the great thing about this story was and and this goes back to something we talked about a long time ago um, it was Amanda Gowan had written a a story where you know there were zombies Mm -hmm. but they were kind of like a side character like a, a very unimportant character in the story Right. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, trot lines. It was. It was a menacing. Hedge. That's it. Thank you. Yep. Um, I'm glad you remember that. <laughs> um, kind of the same thing here. You know, whenever you put a zombie in a story, the expectation is that the zombie is the focal point. But here we have a culture where you know zombies kind of roam around, and some kids are actually able to get one and lure them into to you know not to play baseball, but to be a body on on you know on a team. <laughs> so just <laughs> absolutely terrific. So. Yep. Yeah, but that's that's kind of the nice thing when you can make a zombie story where there's no one running from them, there's no one, they're just a fact of life. They're like the uh, like the end of Shaun of the Dead, you know, or they're they're functional yeah. in society in <laughs> some way. They're shopping kinda. guards and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yep. That's like I always wanted to, and I haven't done this, but I always wanted to do uh, like a robot uprising story where um, the twist of it is it's really easy to thwart the uprising. Like someone just gets a call on the phone and they're like, "Oh, the robots are rising up again," and someone like reboots a computer and then everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just 
We unplugged them from the USB port. Exactly. <laughs> Everything's good. Control, good. alt, delete. We're good. Um, the final story that I want to talk about um, is called Catch and Release, and it's a uh, it's an interesting story. It's a it's a it's a fish story, right? That's what they're called. Yeah. Where like you're boasting about the like the fish you caught, and it's uh, done completely. And and I, I'm sure there's a name for this. Uh, it's just all conversation. It's all done in dialogue. Totally dialogue. There's no yeah. no. yeah. Um, and it's just one guy telling telling about how his dad used to take him fishing, and uh, just a great great story. Of course, there's obviously a twist in it, or because I'm not a big fan of fishing, um, you know. So <laughs> that wouldn't lead me to to call it a standout story. It's just a just a great story. Yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. Um, not a big fish fan either, um, but and then I, you know it was funny because um, with all the yeah, I almost think, all right, so this is me thinking out loud, but so it's released by Lazy Fascist Press. Uh, the editor-in-chief, I think, right, is Cameron Pierce, big mm-hmm. lover of fishing. Yep. He gave us uh, somewhat of a fishing story in the book anthology, and, man, if you follow him on Instagram, it's just nothing but fish all the time. Yeah, I, that that did occur to me that that was probably a no-brainer for him to include that one in this collection. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's like, going to put this weird so. fish story. Oh, yeah, Cameron. Cameron will like this. Yeah. Um, so I think that's it for stories, right? That's all we want to talk about. Yeah. Interestingly, we didn't include the titular story. There is a story called "Zombie Sharks with Metal Teeth" um, in it in in the book, and uh, obviously that's where the title of the book came from. But um, surprisingly, not one of our either of our standout stories. Which usually the title story is is one of the more obvious standouts. All right. Well, here's my reasoning for that. Stephen Graham Jones is far smarter than I am, okay? <laughs> Not that this is a surprise to anybody, but there were just some stories that I think were too smart for me. Like, I just couldn't get them, and there was just, just a couple of handful of them. And, and that one, to a certain extent, I think, fell into that. It was a lot going on in it, for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, they're... Again, not to say the stories weren't interesting. There were just some where I kind of was left scratching my head at the end, feeling like maybe I missed something. There were some others, though. I mean, like, I, I probably could have done, like, a, a five or six of my own standout ones. That mm-hmm. There's one toward the beginning called How Billy Hansen Destroyed the Planet Earth and Everyone on It, mm-hmm. which is just focused around a very simple... I'm sorry. It's definitely not a very simple concept, but it's just focused on one very small little detail that causes such a huge thing. So um, that that story I just thought was incredibly fascinating. Yeah, I agree. One of the reasons I didn't pick that is because it's very short and very hard to talk about. But of all the stories in here, that one creeped me out the most. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And well worth a read. But again, like saying anything other than what you said just kind of spoils the shit out of it. So. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, all right, if you just want to talk about some of the content in some of the stories, the first story, the first story just sets, it destroys any expectations you'd have for the book. It's like it's like one page long, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And you're just like, oh, man, just anything goes after you read that. I'll be honest. I was, I was a little surprised. So that, that story is called Good Times. And I was a little surprised from the stuff I read from Stephen Graham Jones that that was one of his stories. Not, not to say it's bad. It just didn't strike me as his style. As There's his plenty style. of other people we've we've read or had on the show where I was like, oh, I could totally see that in one of their collections. Well, it's like um, I remember 
Oh man, this is going all the way back. You can tell I've re-listened to old episodes. Um, mm-hmm. When we interviewed Gordon Highland for the Warmed and Bound sessions, he was mm-hmm. talking about um, he wanted. You know how he was talking about how people have a porn friend where when you die they come over and get rid of all your porn. Mm-hmm. But he wanted a, the porn. He wanted his porn friend to be his like bad story friend that came over and like deleted all his bad stories. And <laughs> and I'm not saying this is a bad story, but it's one of those where it's like even Jones. I think because he has this really great um, notes section at the end where he talks about all the stories and it seems like he felt like it was a risk to even put the story in there. Yeah. And I said, not, I, I like the story. It was just surprising. Right. Coming from him. If that yep. makes sense. We should probably add that there's a fairly lengthy and interesting introduction from Jeremy Robert Johnson at the beginning of this too. Yeah. Oh man. We haven't had him on it forever. Maybe we need yeah. to revisit Mr. Johnson. Yeah. Who better, though, for this kind of weird, bizarro collection of stories, though, to, to kind of talk about Stephen Graham Jones and, and this, this collection? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And as Rob noted at the end, um, Jones does a little note section on each of his stories, which is uh, really, really interesting to kind of see, you know, where the thoughts for those came from or where they originated. So that was that was a nice touch at the end there, too. It was really cool, too, because, like, you're reading it. And you're thinking, all right, you know that when someone does a short story collection, those stories aren't necessarily all written at the same time. But until you read him say, oh, you know, I think I wrote this 13 years ago, or I wrote this in 1997, and you're like, my God, this guy really combed through his collection to like piece these together. Um, because some of them were written. The Sea of Intranquility, um, actually he wrote, I know he wrote it last year because when we, reviewed uh, Zombie Bake Off with David James Keaton, we were just kind of musing about Jones uh, in general, and, and I pointed out that he had talked about writing a story about space lobsters, and that's what this story is. So, I mean, these stories... Uh, the, the cool thing about that little notes part at the end is you see kind of an in, his insight into those stories and see how, like, just they've, you know, they were written decades, sometimes decades apart. Yeah, and again, just to to me, you know, like there's um, for a uh, death trap whirlpool, um, which is about I'm not even gonna tell people what it's about. It's a very surreal, odd story, strange story. But um, you know, he says I have two constant fears. One is that I'm driving somewhere and look down and there's no key in the ignition, meaning none of this is real. And the other is that I'm an unwitting contestant on a future game show. Like just to hear where where you know the thoughts for stories come from for me is uh, is fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Um, you ready to do some quotes? Um, here's the thing. Bless Cameron Pierce for sending us uh, uh, an early uh, review copy of this, but it is a PDF, so it suffers from what I am now officially calling PDF syndrome. I did not do any. I could not do any highlights, so I did not do any notes. I will say though, read that age of hasty retreats where you know the guy's using cats and dogs to throw off zombies that's like the whole thing is just one giant good quote do you have some quotes i have to agree and see i don't yeah i do i don't have any from that sort because i was so excited to start reading this i started reading it on my phone Mm. um and and i now have a new phone and those screenshots are on the old phone sitting at the t-mobile store so uh, (laughs) um so i did lose my yeah, anything I had um, note-wise from the first like four or five stories uh, is is gone. There's some guy in a T-Mobile store looking for porn on my phone and going, "What is this? All this guy's got is screenshots of a book." So, 
Um, but yeah, I do have a couple, which I thought were just great examples of, of uh, just great writing from Stephen Graham Jones. This one is from Submitted for Your Approval. A great man once wondered if he wasn't just a butterfly dreaming he was a man, but perhaps it's not like that. Perhaps butterflies simply dream of other butterflies, of smaller and smaller butterflies. Nice. I remember that Dude, one. I love that. Love that. Um, and then uh, here's another one, which I, I just I just love this. I, mean, I, don't, I don't even think this needs... There's two guys. There's a guy talking and then the other guy's response. It's even bigger than, he says. Like, everybody's glued to it, man. Night and day, I mean. All the big problems. Hungers, war, disease, oil, math. That's all been solved by then, like generations ago. Seriously. I catch on math, but don't say anything. I love that. Math has been solved. <laughs> I, I want to say that I was so close to just wanting to read the entire first story because of oh. how disturbing and weird it is, but I decided that probably wouldn't be a good idea. Yeah, we'd get sued for that. Probably get sued probably by Jones and probably by listeners to... Oh, I was waiting for the crash after that <laughs> screeching of brakes. I was about to start reading, and I was like, oh, oh, oh nothing. Um, here's, <laughs> here's one that I thought really kind of encapsulates just, I don't know, maybe this whole collection. The thing about using space lobsters as storage devices for people's minds is that it wasn't an entirely known process. Then or now, I don't know why we ever thought it made sense. Damn it, I love that quote too. The, when he's like, I don't even, I don't know why we ever thought it made sense. I was like, oh man, that's brilliant. Dude, it's just awesome. But I mean, that's just how weird this whole collection is. So. The thing I like about that story too, the Sea of Intranquility, the Space mm-hmm. Lobsters one, is... It starts off, and I kind of wish this was more consistent throughout, it starts off with a really classic private detective sort of tone to it, which um, changes a little bit once uh, once you encounter some space lobsters, but it had this really classic detective feel in the beginning, which I really appreciated. That's a good segue into the next quote, because it's from that story. Um I would have lit her cigarette for her, except for the bands. Everyone was afraid of lighting the atmosphere on fire again. What they were really afraid of was that smokers would be the only ones able to breathe fire, the only ones to come out the other side. But still, you could get fined, and since they'd tax smokers to hell and back, I'd quit carrying my lighter. Would you like to guess how surprised I am that you chose that as a quote? You are zero surprised. Zero. I'm zero, zero surprised. amount surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right. Wrap it up for us. All right. So we gave you six to eight probably examples of different stories in this book. It's just, I mean, like so weird all over the place. There's the cats and dogs for zombies. I mean, there's werewolf like spouses. The Titanic makes an appearance. Um, Dude, there's a story by a hamster. There's a story by a hamster, which is probably the most touching story in the entire book. Um, a guy eating his therapist. I mean, it's just all over the map. And Oh, Muppets. There are Muppets. Mm-hmm. A very touching story about building monsters in your garage. I, it just It's just all over the place. But I think that first story, Good Times, which we won't talk about but um, is very disturbing, really 
makes you kind of just hang up your expectations at the very outset. So you're really ready for, or I guess kind of resigned to whatever happens, which, um, which is nice because there is a lot of weird stuff you need to accept in some of these stories, but there's, but then the realization comes back that, that Jones is just a damn awesome author. So even though there's weirdness and there's like stuff that might be a little bit off putting to certain people, it's just quality writing, and um, some of it might be a little bit over our heads at points. Some of it might just be more lowest common denominator. But in the end, it's all just really impressive writing. So um, <laughs> at points, I didn't really know exactly what to think about the collection because I was, you know, uh, with individual stories, I felt one way as you know, I was less impressed with some than others. But at the end of the day, and with us, especially with us talking about it, man, it's just impressive to see what Jones can do, and in so many different arenas and so many different ways. Um, that yeah, I think it's a really cool collection. It's a little bit, I'd say, it's a little more difficult to take in than possibly. Uh, like novels like Zombie Bake Off or The Last Final Girl, just because it kind of jumps around a little bit, deals with a lot of different topics and a lot of different levels of seriousness and creepiness than the stories which are, you know, those books that I mentioned are very, you know, consistent throughout. So a little bit more difficult to consume possibly, but still a really good read. So, um, And then that note section at the end where he explains his thoughts on the individual stories was just a really nice treat afterwards as well. So overall, I, I dug it. I'm going to do three and a half stars. If we rated stories by the length of the wrap-up, Rob, yeah. I think this would have been like your best one ever. <laughs> uh, that doesn't leave me a lot to say. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with Rob on this. Um there are some stories that I will probably remember forever. Uh, there's no theme to this collection other than just screwed up. That's a theme. Every one of these stories is is completely off the rails. Um, but still, in a way that they're all very believable in their own worlds, if that makes sense. There's not a lot of stretch of the imagination because he sets the tone right in each of these stories for you to, to kind of buy into exactly to buy into Muppets and hamsters telling stories and, and, and all the other weird things, you know, zombie kids playing baseball and stuff. So, um, yeah, someone smarter than me, which doesn't take a whole lot, probably will get a few of those stories that I didn't. Um, it didn't detract enough from the collection, um, for me to, to really ding it because I really thought some of these stories were just absolutely fantastic. Stephen Graham Jones head must be a really, really scary place to be. And then, you know, so I think that from reading the stories, then I read the notes section, and I realize that, yes, it's still a really scary place to be. Like, there were, you know what I mean? There wasn't a lot of, like, really grounded reasons for that, you know, for this stuff. But um, that's what makes him just, uh, I mean, a, a terrific, a terrific, not a terrific writer mechanically, but what makes him a terrific writer from the standpoint of his imagination knows yeah, practically no bounds um, based on, on this collection, at least. Um Really enjoyed it. I'm going to go four stars on this. All right. That's all we've got to talk about, right? Oh, yeah, that's it. Let's let someone else talk for a while. This is Book News. I'm Skip Hapesley. Now for the news. Amazon's newest e-reader, the Kindle Matchbook, has already thought to be a hit with its very cool new promo. Any books purchased through Amazon can now be downloaded to the device for $2.99 or less, even free. 
That's right, a book that you've already purchased will be available for you in the new format with an additional fee. Amazon PR representative Richard Bagg had the following to say. Everybody buys books from us. Our research shows they love us and will gladly buy the same thing twice. In other news, after the return from her second honeymoon, Gillian Flynn will be starting her brand new erotic novel, Gone Girl 2, going all the way. This new novel will feature a shy but adventurous novelist who just wrote a hit novel and is going on a second honeymoon with her journalist husband who was formerly trapped inside an iceberg after a freak accident in one of Hitler's bunkers. Book News is proud to have exclusive access to the work of this author and is looking forward to sharing more with you. Now for the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. Terry Goodkind is fifth with The Third Kingdom. Khalid Husseini bounces back to fourth with The Mountain's Echo. Mistress by James Patterson misses its mark and is number three. It's a dry heat at number two with Dan Brown's Inferno. Finally, Everyone's Caught On, The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith is number one. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Habersley, signing off. All right, so that was the triumphant return of Skip Papersley with booked news. One thing I want to say is that uh, I'm kind of curious about this whole Kindle matchbook thing. Do you notice that it was because there's Kindle Fire? Yeah, yeah, matchbook. I caught that. I saw that. That was like the first thing I saw this morning. Like I had just opened my eyes and it's basically <laughs> on my my computer screen when i looked over at it did you he uh, he made a mistake though there's not a new kindle it's just a it's a program that's correct right. yes okay it's a program so yeah i don't believe there's actually a new device uh, there is a new device coming there's a new kindle fire i don't know if that's what they're going to call it or not but um first i think that um richard bag the uh the, <laughs> the 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 amazon spokesperson that he quoted is is uh is is probably right on with amazon's thinking on how things go um yeah, I, I, you know, it's hard to say. You know, we've talked at length about, you know, the right thing would be I buy a physical book, I get a free ebook copy. Right. I don't know that people are going to go, ooh, look, I can go ahead and buy this now for two ninety nine or a dollar ninety nine, buy an ebook of something I bought seven years ago, which is basically what what they're going to be doing, and it's only through select publishers at, at this point. Right. So it, it's not it's not looking like it's going to be a huge boon for them. Um, content. I mean, this is, you know, CDs. You buy a CD now, most of them come with free digital content. Here's what I thought of, and this is me being a big Apple nerd. Mm -hmm. Um, Apple offers a service for music called um, iTunes Match, which means that, like, I'm trying to think of the easiest way. So essentially, like, it gives you access to uh, music that you didn't buy through Apple on iTunes. by paying like an annual fee. So 25 bucks a year. Um, if you're ripping CDs on your computer and add that to your iTunes library, iTunes match is going to let you have access to like higher quality, you know, anywhere you want. Like you can read, download it on iPads and stuff like that. So the gist of it is you pay 25 bucks a year and, um, you can have 25,000 songs, no matter where they came from, you know, available to you through iTunes, which is pretty cool. If you got mobile devices and stuff like that, they're just available. So, um, I'm thinking that this is in the spirit of that, but on a per purchase, or I mean, on a per book basis, making a purchase seems a little bit high. I think that 
maybe an annual membership fee. I mean, they already have Amazon Prime, which is like a with an annual membership. They could up the membership fee and include Matchbook right in that. But yeah, I guess my my whole thing is they're the last medium that's holding out. I mean, I haven't purchased a, a DVD or, or whatever, but <clears throat> in years, but I see it on there, free digital download on DVDs, yeah. like like in the grocery store, like the kind you pick up at Jewel in the checkout lane, and the same thing with CDs. It's like books have become the last holdout for not just giving you the content in multiple fashion. So I don't know, you know, will some people buy? I I guess. Am I going to buy an ebook of something that I, I purchased and, and read already? It, it's unlikely. And here's the thing, too. I believe it's physical books you've bought through Amazon. You're available. You're you're basically eligible to get their ebook at a discounted price, right? Yeah. Yep. That's so it's exactly only it. stuff you bought through Amazon. Yeah, through your current Amazon account, too. So if you've changed accounts or something for some reason, I, I'm guessing you're out of luck. Yeah. I will say, though, that we may have gotten an email offering uh, to have our book added to the list of available books for that. <laughs> did we really? Yeah, we did. <laughs> oh. so um, we, Forget what I said. This sounds like a genius idea. <laughs> this is a fucking brilliant plan. I don't know. <laughs> this is... Oh, Richard Bag. We're with you all the way on this, yeah. man. Richard Bag, um, you're going to get an email from me very soon. Um but I mean, for I guess for the for the publishers, it's great to get like eke a little bit more money out of people, but also just to get maybe a revisit of an old book or something. But for the consumers, I think it's a little bit oddly priced. I'm with you on that. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how it goes for them. I, I yeah. I, I I don't know what to say. <laughs> Could be a situation where you bought a book like ten years ago, sold it at like. Or you know the books the used bookstore gave oh, yeah. it to Goodwill and then you're like you know what I want to read that again and I can get it now for ninety nine cents instead of buying the whole book again so that's kind of nice but there are also libraries. Well, here's the good news. So while Amazon's trying to get money from you that way, you might be getting some money back from Amazon. Ooh. So do yeah. Tell. So now we talked about this before. There's a uh, the the settlement for the price fixing scandals and stuff. Yeah. Um, at this point, it's uh, it's looking like they're going to be doing about 150 million dollars in in uh, settlements for for overpricing for ebooks. They're giving us 150 million dollars. Yes, each. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, we could stop doing this podcast. <laughs> Basically, the breakdown is: uh, it looks like it's going to be about three dollars per ebook if you bought a New York Times bestseller. And about seventy-three cents for a non-bestseller. So those amounts have basically doubled, a little more than doubled since the last report. Um, the final hearing will be in December, right before my birthday. So I'm expecting on my birthday a big fat check for you know about I don't know eighteen, twenty bucks, whatever. I don't know whatever my <laughs> Amazon purchases for that time period would have would have gone to. So uh, I could spend those money. I could spend that money to buy books I've already read. See, do you see how that goes? Ooh. I can throw, maybe that's what they'll do. They'll say we're giving you this money back. Now pick ebooks of books you've already bought from us. <laughs> They're like you get eighteen dollars or thirty dollars matchbook. Boom. Yeah, exactly. So a little bit of money coming back to uh, to e-readers, um, but yeah, we're still expected to spend more money to read the e-versions of paper books we've already purchased. They're hedging their bets, bro. 
or something. Yeah. Cutting their, hedging, yeah. I don't know, their losses. Cutting, I don't know. It's one of those fucking fancy they're, they're, phrases that people say. They're Amazon. They can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, that's pretty true. That's really the bottom line. Yeah. Kind of depressing. Yeah. I did get the newest David Morrell book for $1.99 from like a Kindle Best Buy. Remember last time we were recording? I was like, I can't. Oh, yeah. Ah. It, it like get updated. <laughs> yeah. So, and I was all pissed because I like cut off our recording to try to buy a book for two bucks. At any rate, oh, I they remember. brought it back Trust to two me. bucks. Very excited about that. So, all right, all right. So we weren't really going to talk about this at all, but then I thought it would seem kind of odd if we didn't. So um, uh, during our last episode, we had talked about an article on Lit Reactor that had mentioned five great literary podcasts, and we'd kind of, I don't know, elbowed, nudged uh, the folks at Lit Reactor for for the for the list that they put up there and, and the non inclusion of um, booked. Um, so, so it's no surprise that, um, you know, having a, a podcast, you know, literary podcast ourselves, we'd have some crossover listeners and, uh, it came to our attention from, a, a, a few listeners that unprintable, the lit reactor podcast had, uh, had also <laughs> had some things to say about this, about this article. Yeah. So, um, the, it came their our episode came to their attention. They listened to it and, um, they, they seemed, they appeared to have somewhat of a uh, negative reaction to some of the things that we said. And now there's two different types of personalities on this podcast. There's me and then there's Livius. Livius uh, tends to be a little bit more vindictive <laughs> and I'm a little more level-headed. So I listened to that. I just listened to see, um, I heard they were they responded to the whole debacle because apparently um, when this article went up um, and you know we were talking about it on the podcast, there was a bunch of responses saying, "Oh, you should have included these people." So anyway, they um, they wanted to respond to it from the standpoint of obviously they got a lot of blowback from the article itself. So I imagine even if podcasts did not talk about it, they probably would have responded to the idea. But the fact that we kind of made joking made made fun of the whole thing, I guess. Um, they, they responded to that as well. Um, I, I, <laughs> I listened to it before Livius and, um, you know, Rob and Kath were both, you know, pretty chill about it and goofy, but I couldn't tell if Josh, uh, Chaplinsky was, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Apologize if I'm wrong about that. Um, I couldn't tell if he was like legitimately angry with us or play angry with us. So, um, I was kind of worried. I was like, you know, I don't want to, as much as like, you know, I don't, I don't imagine everybody likes us. I didn't think we we would have like outright enemies, right, Livius? Well, I always imagine that we have outright enemies. <laughs> um, I, I didn't listen, so I, I don't know what to say. Yeah, I, I have, I have no hard feelings against um, Unprintable or anybody at Lit Reactor. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty big fan of Slutty Lennon kath murphy's other podcast so yeah so in the interest of just like understanding I, I i reached out to rob hart and i said hey you know i i heard what you guys said and i you know it was pretty obvious that kath and rob didn't you know didn't have an opinion one way or the other but i couldn't tell if you know josh was actually upset or not so he said oh no you know uh everybody's cool we just you know whatever it was so um thankfully uh instead of us deciding to just you know be idiots and and have a, a negative reaction to their joking negative reaction. I did a little research first and find, find you know, 
confirmed my suspicion that it was all in good fun. So if anybody's out there who thinks um, Lit Reactor has any kind of problem with us, it's just it was just in good fun. So um, no worries about that. Why do I get the feeling that 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 um, Rob Hart and Kath Murphy, much like you, kind of like were like, no, 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 it's just that one guy. It's just that Josh guy. It's just like you're like, yeah, it's just Livius. He's crazy. It's just yeah, maybe. yeah. <laughs> well, so. no. No matter no matter what the situation, um, Rob assured me that we, they were just having fun, and you know, they they like the, what we do over here at Booked and everything. So, um. We're all good, and uh, I made sure that you know we weren't gonna, you know, there wasn't gonna be any issues because had there been any kind of legitimate like bad blood or or weird feelings between us, it would have made the month of October really awkward. <laughs> and for the month of October, <laughs> um, Pete Gudis, who runs Lit Reactors uh, Book Club, has picked the book anthology. Yeah. Which is just such an honor. I'm I'm very honored to to have our book over there at Lit Reactor, with Pete Gudis uh, moderating a, a, a month long discussion. Um, it's real easy. Go to litreactor.com. You sign up for their free membership. Go into the forum for the book club, and you get to start talking about it on October one. That's right. Um, right now, actually, you don't really need to hesitate. You can sign up now. Uh, the September book club actually is Rob Roberge's uh, The Cost of Living. So if you wanted to get a kickstart and get a feel for what those book clubs are like, uh, you can start talking about Cost of Living now and um, be just ready to rock when it comes October to do book club for the booked anthology. We even have a special offer for people who participate in the October book club with Lit Reactor. Yep. So if you want to participate, uh, you can go to litreactor.com, sign up on there as a link um, where you can go ahead and get 50% off the ebook through our bookpodcast.com uh, ebook store. Top right hand corner is a little tab that you can click on there. But there's uh, directions on how to do that over at Lit Reactor in their book club section. That's right. So it's a giant love fest between Booked and Lit Reactor and all the hosts of unprintable and i even know that uh, joshua had recently gotten he picked up a copy of the book anthology so um yeah hopefully we'll be seeing what uh, he has to say about it over there at the book club discussion as well indeed i'm excited about this book club uh setup we, we've never been we've never been in a position to be the subject of a book club are you or how do you feel about it Dude, I think it's really cool, and, and even cooler is we've reached out to, um, well, at this point, almost all of the uh, contributors and asked them to participate in the discussion. We've gotten some good responses from them, so not only will you be able to talk about the stories, but there's a good chance that um, the writers will be on hand to answer questions and also to talk about each other's stories, as I know these guys are all fans of one another, and I know uh, quite a few of the writers. Um, Bob Pastorella's already read the whole book. Yeah, I know Gordon Highlands most of the way through it. I'm sure some of the other guys have started in on it. So not uh, not just a book discussion, but being able to talk to the writers got to be pretty cool too. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna um, be there. I, I don't know how much I'm gonna interfere, but um, I, I want to definitely <laughs> kind of pay attention to see if I can add a little two cents here and there. But yeah, definitely, I've seen other uh, months of book clubs with different books and everything, and it's always a pretty decent discussion. And it's really exciting when the actual author gets over there to talk to, because um, then it's kind of like just bonus content. You're hearing stuff you wouldn't get anywhere else. So definitely, 
uh, we definitely encourage you to uh, participate in that. I don't know if we could talk very much more about it anymore. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I was wondering. I, I'm going to be there too, but I don't know if it's smart for me to throw out my opinions. Someone says something, they just be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? As a comment, so maybe maybe I'll have to stay away from that. Yeah. Hey, you know what people could do? I was thinking about this. So they have they have the, the cost of living discussion going on right now. Yeah. If you feel like you don't have the time to read the book, it's like we got a Notes version. Just go back and listen to our episode and just regurgitate some of the things we had to say. Yeah, and then listen to our Rob Robert interview and uh, talk about that stuff and sound like you really know your shit. Exactly, and you don't have to read a book. How cool is that? Although you really should read The Cost of Living because it's awesome. It's a really, really goddamn good book. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait for his memoir to come out. Yep. So, any rate, hey, you know what next week is? No. Neither do I. <laughs> Until then, <laughs> I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. When will we get the time to be just It's never safe for us, not even in the evening Cause I've been drinking, not in the morning Where your shit works It's always dangerous when everybody's sleeping And I've been thinking, can we be